with the best brand of football in Idaho, this is the 8-Man Prep Cast on IdahoSports.com. That's right. Welcome in another edition of the Idaho 8-Man Prep Cast on IdahoSports.com. Brandon Bainey, as always, joined by Will Henneke. Will, what's going on? Well, just living. Just living, man. Getting ready for another big week. Yeah, are you doing vocal exercises, warming up those play-by-play chops? We've got you on the call for one of our games this weekend. You know, I haven't, but what I did do last weekend is while you guys were doing the opening round action, I I sat in on a couple broadcasts. The Idaho Steelheads, the hockey team here in Boise, I used to be their play-by-play broadcaster. They just hired a new play-by-play broadcaster, and he asked me if if I could come help him on the first couple broadcasts just to kind of give him a safety net and I mean, dude's better than I ever was. I don't know why I was there, but I got kind of back in the, I got back in the swing of things a little bit by every now and then saying, you know, nice shot or good save or something like that. The real uh, hard hitting color analyst uh, interjections. Yeah. You know, I've done uh, football, basketball, baseball, softball, soccer, cross country. We've been doing Friday. Hockey is never one I've, I've tried to tackle. I just, I'm a casual hockey fan. I don't know all the rules. I don't know the nuances. Uh, but if I feel like if you can call hockey, you can pretty much call any sport because everything's so it's fast. A lot of people who then that's what they said to me because I'm not a hockey by nature guy. I picked it up by virtue of working for the Steelheads, and I got moved into the the broadcaster seat after being on the on the staff there for a couple of years and. People are like, man, we listen to you, and we're like, man, that, that can't be an easy sport to call. And it's, I mean, it's not because it's just do, 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 and it's it's just it's fast. And, I mean, you don't really have a – watching on TV does not do justice to how fast those guys are moving. And, you know, imagine you're on ice skates, and you got five guys on the other team that are trying to rip your head off, and you're trying to manage the puck with a stick while skating 20 miles an hour. Good luck. You know what I mean? It's, it's not easy. And even at the, uh, the steelheads are the, you know, minor hockey, minor league equivalent of double a baseball. So they're, they're prospects. There are guys that very much have a chance to go on to the NHL, but they're a couple steps away. And even at that level, you just look at them and you're like the things that they do without even thinking, it's it's incredible. It's it's kind of like watching a double A baseball team take an infield. The plays that they make look routine can make your jaw drop. Yeah, well, there weren't too many jaw dropping results from the opening round of the eight man football playoffs. Things were pretty much kind of business as usual. The teams that were expected to win did win for the most part. Uh, pretty chalky in terms of what actually happened. You know, there was one game that was really. Uh, close and intense and intriguing. And it was one of one of the very first games of the week. It was a Thursday night game at the 1A D1 level. So I figure we'll start there. Uh, the conversation at the D1 level. It was a game I was at, Will. It must have been my touch. Uh, there you go. There you go. Maybe you should do them all. Yeah, if only. Um, so this was a good battle. It was Lighthouse Christian, the nine seed, taking on Murtaugh, the eight seed. First of all, loved the drive into Murtaugh. We went, uh, we turned off the interstate to go uh, through Hazleton. We drove past Valley High School, which I'd never done before. And then it took us on this uh, kind of secondary highway. We went down this little canyon. It was pretty windy. Have you ever made that drive to Murtaugh before, Will? I have not coming from that direction, no. The only okay. time I've been to Murtaugh, I came through, basically came through Twin Falls, which is 
much more direct, much easier. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a really scenic uh, drive to go through this little canyon, and it was kind of windy and downhill. And anyway, it was really cool. We got to Murtaugh, cool town. I'd never been to Murtaugh before. It's cool how the train tracks kind of run right through everything. And and then, of course, the field at, at Murtaugh, Red Devil Stadium, uh, looks mm-hmm. great uh, for a grass field this time of year. Todd Jensen is not only the football coach, he's the athletic director at Murtaugh as well. Did a great job taking care of us. They got a nice new press box that's been built in the last couple of years. So overall, great atmosphere. The only the only thing that didn't go right was Murtaugh didn't win the game. <laughs> I mean, that was about the old, everything else went to a T. Um, this was a crazy game, Will, where – uh, Lighthouse Christian was missing its starting quarterback, Justice Schrader. He got dinged up in the second quarter of the regular season finale against Murtaugh, and um, did, they didn't want to push it, the coaching staff. They, they figured, you know, it's better to keep him extra healthy, make sure he's 100% back, ready to go. So Justice Schrader was held out. Case Van Leeuwen started at quarterback for Lighthouse Christian, where he had been the quarterback in years prior and like he didn't miss a beat. I mean, he was scrambling around making all sorts of crazy plays with his legs. Uh, He had several snaps that were on the ground and he would just pick it up and take off or sling it downfield. I was really impressed with Case Van Leeuwen as he delivered uh, five touchdowns, three through the air, two on the ground. And Lighthouse Christian uh, got the first round quote unquote upset win over Murtaugh by uh, a single score. It came by eight points, 34 to 26. Yeah, you don't find many eight-man teams. I mean, you don't find many teams in Idaho, period, that that have a backup quarterback who essentially has a year plus of starting experience uh, under his belt. So what an amazing, amazing luxury that is for, for Lighthouse Christian to have Case Van Leeuwen and then to have him come in and, and you know, play just a fantastic football game against a pretty good team, you know. And, and yeah, Murtaugh, they have not had one of their top players for a big, big part of the season. Uh, Junior Benitez has been out injured for a good part of the season, which has impacted what Murtaugh does. But then you got to give the kudos right back to Murtaugh because, okay, how many eight-man teams lose their best player and still find a way to win, you know, five, six ball games and get into the playoffs? And, and they did it, and there they were. And, and they hung right there with a, a pretty good lighthouse Christian team. And people are going to say, wait a minute, pretty good lighthouse Christian team. Didn't they only win two or three games? Yeah, after they played, you know, the Yankees, the Lakers, the Celtics, and the Packers to open up the season, essentially. Um, you know, it was I, I think that was it was a very good matchup. And, and I think when you have an eight versus a nine, so to speak, you expect it to be a good game. And as it turns out, it was the best game of the weekend. And 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 Lighthouse Christian got the win. And you know, when you're when you're Jason Smith, the head coach of, of Lighthouse Christian, and and Justice Schrader, if if you're playing it strictly precautionary, you're you're opening up the door to get yourself in trouble if Murtaugh goes out and wins that game. But uh, the Lions came through. Van Leeuwen was terrific. His teammates were terrific, and and they found a way to move on. And you know, now they they get to go play Oakley again. So okay, we've been here before. We know what to expect. Yeah, so for Lighthouse Christian, I guess what was essentially the game-deciding touchdown came right before halftime. We didn't know it at the time, but uh, Lighthouse is moving the ball down the field. They throw a strike to the 12-yard line, get the timeout called with literally one-tenth of a second left on the clock. Murtaugh's scoreboard goes to tenths of seconds, and there was literally 
0.1 showing on that scoreboard. They got the timeout in time, one basically untimed down, uh, and it results in a 12-yard touchdown pass from Van Leeuwen to Jack DeYoung. He, he made a sensational grab in the end zone to get it. Um, that ended up being in a one-score game, kind of the, the big play right before halftime. Also, I will give credit to the Lighthouse defense. So with Case Van Leeuwen moving to quarterback, he's normally their deep safety. Well, they said, no chance we're putting him on defense if he's our only quarterback. So C.W. Gettle had to fill it at that spot, and he did a tremendous job. But the Lighthouse defense overall, Will, forced six turnovers. They got six takeaways. Murtaugh fumbled the ball a bunch. Uh, at one point, Reagan Fitzpatrick was in at quarterback instead of Sawyer Young, and he threw an interception. Um, but, I mean, so Lighthouse, I really thought their defense won this game because every time Murtaugh was driving, invariably there would be a fumble and Lighthouse would recover it. Yeah, you hold a team to 26 points in eight-man football, you're doing pretty good. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of people say, ah, 26, that's not that great. Well, look at some of our other scores from last weekend. We had teams scoring 70, 72 64 you know those were some of our other some of our other scores our other winning scores if you will um but then so lighthouse christian hold you know they needed you know they needed their defense because their offense i mean their offense was good 34 points is okay but it's not necessarily a slam dunk win you know and the defense came up with you mentioned the the turnovers that they needed to make sure that the offense got the ball back and and was able to close out the win yeah, nice win for Lighthouse Christian and Eli Merrick and Reagan Fitzpatrick both ran well for Murtaugh in the loss. And Oscar Alberto came through with three and a half sacks uh, on that Murtaugh defensive line as well. A special shout out to Oscar Alberto. It was really fun to watch him compete uh, for the Red Devils. So, yes, now Lighthouse gets to play Oakley. This will be Friday night, 6 o'clock, a game we're bringing to you on IdahoSports.com. 24 quarterfinal games across the state of Idaho. IdahoSports.com will be bringing you 18 of those 24 matchups, which is, again, is pretty good for us uh, for a weekend. And this will be one of the games. Lighthouse at Oakley, really, I think the formula to beat Oakley, we've said it all year, is you've got to match them score for score. Is Lighthouse capable of that? Yes. It would help if Justice Schrader were back, for sure. Oh, I'm sure it would. And I think that the thing that Lighthouse has now that maybe they didn't have the first time these two teams met back in September is – They've got a little mojo. They're on a bit of a roll. They're playing some pretty good football. They've won, I believe, this was their, if I'm not mistaken, their fourth consecutive win after starting 0-5. So they're feeling pretty good about themselves. So, you know, Oakley isn't going to be able to just show up and buckle their chin straps and win by 50. They're going to have to come ready to play. Yeah, when these teams met early on in the season, it was back in September, as, as Will alluded to, um, Oakley won that matchup. It was at the very end of September. They won 46 to 22. So really, I mean, that's right around what Oakley averaged this year, you know, between 48 and 60 points. So for Lighthouse, that's kind of the number. We need to score probably 56 points to feel good about matching up with Oakley, I would say, is how I would look at it in terms of keeping yeah. pace. And but and Oakley has slowly but surely been working Bryce Severe back in a little bit. So if he's able to go on, on Friday against Lighthouse Christian, there's another weapon that, that Lighthouse didn't have to scheme for last time. And when you've already got, uh, you know, you've already got Porter Pickett, you've already got Ethan Torbao, you've already got Cranny, you've already got Bingham, you've already got Crocker. And I mean, we can just go down the list. I could basically read the roster to you. 
um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a bit of an embarrassment of riches that that Oakley team has and, and lighthouse is going to have to find a way to match that. And, um, like I say, Lighthouse is playing, they're playing with more confidence, I think, now than they were before. And I think the fact that they've already seen Oakley once will help them. But, you know, just because you've seen Oakley once, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean anything because they're, they're number one in the, they're number one in the state in the coaches poll for a reason. They're a really, really good football team. Yeah, and right below Oakley and Lighthouse in that one versus eight matchup will be the four or five. This will be the game that you're at, Will. It's Carey, the five seed, at notice, the four seed. Carey played Idaho City on Friday and won 70 to six. Did you see? So the the, the Mountain Express newspaper did a great write up of this game, Will. Did you have a chance to read that? I have not, no. Okay, so they had a pretty interesting stat in here. Carey scored 70 points on just 21 offensive plays. They only ran, I think they talked to Coach Kirkland after the game, and he said that was the fewest number of plays that Kerry has ever run as long as he can remember. 21 plays was all, and they scored 70 points. Well, when they're when they're clicking, when they're right, they're a tremendous offensive football team. There are two losses this year. They, they, they had a, a problem with the bobbles and the drops and the fumblies, and, and that cost them in a couple of games this year. But otherwise – you know, that, that's another team. You know, yeah, you have a sophomore quarterback, but you have the reigning 1A Division II Player of the Year in Connor Simpson. You have, uh, you know, you have Riley Morey. You have Carson Perks. You've got Colton Larna. You've got several players, and it's when you've only got eight defenders, it's hard to scheme for five different guys, you know, for five different players. You know what I mean? Now, I, I think when, when they're facing notice this week, it's a little bit of a different beast. That notice team is a very good football team. We had them in the eight-man classic, and they lost to Kendrick 36 to nothing. And I remember sitting there going, ooh, man, that one's going to sting a little bit. You look at what Kendrick's done since then, 36 to nothing looks pretty damn impressive, let's be honest. Um, I think they're going to need their quarterback, Benny Guevara, to make a throw or two or make a play or two in this game. Um, offensively, I think that notice is going to need that if they want to win. Uh, I think they're more than talented enough to stay in the game. Carter Woodland is tremendous. Eli Hill is tremendous. You, you know, you go on down the list. But at some point, I think Guevara is going to have to uh, probably hit a, a throw or two or flip side of the coin, not force a pass and maybe do it with his legs to extend drives to make things happen. Um, I'd give Kerry a little bit of an advantage in this game, the Lane Kirkland uh, um, retirement tour, if you will. I'm sure that the Panthers are going to want to keep going. I'm sure that the Pirates and their fans are they're going to want to be the ones that say, you know, let us let us start your retirement a little bit early, coach. You had a tremendous career, but we want to keep playing too. Yeah, and I think you hit on a key point there of not forcing a throw. Both of these defenses, year in, year out, have done a great job at getting turnovers and turning those turnovers into points, right? Eli Hill, it seems like, has a pick six every game. Or it Carter Woodley, like it. Yeah. Or, or somebody. Riley Morey had a 100-yard pick six for Carey in that win over Idaho City. So whichever team can, can take care of the ball the best as well, I think will also be very key in that matchup. And I think with young quarterbacks and both Preston Wood, the Carey quarterback, and, and Guevara, the notice quarterback, they're both sophomores. They're both young kids still learning how to play. You know, you might have a receiver running a deep post and, and your instinct, your gut is, I want to hit that big play. But being able to recognize, 
okay, you know, let's use Kerry for example. You know, we've got we've got our receiver, we've got Eli Hill, we've got Tristan Aspiazu, whoever it is, we've got that person running that pattern. But Colton Larna's in perfect coverage, Riley Morey's in perfect coverage, whatever it is. I can throw it, it's probably going to get intercepted, or I've got this big lane here where I can take my five or six yards, I can get a first down, and I can keep the drive going. And, and it might come down with all the weapons on both sides, which quarterback plays with, with the most composure and, and plays the, the smartest game. That might, be, that might be the factor that decides who wins it because notice, Notice's defensive front is tremendous. We watched them not only in that game against Kendrick where Kendrick scored 28 of their 36 points in, in one quarter. There was one little flurry where it was like touchdown, turnover, touchdown, turnover, touchdown, and all of a sudden the game was a blowout. We saw notice again a few weeks later against Clearwater Valley. In Clearwater Valley, they're not a bad team at all by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they're a playoff team. And notice's defensive front made Louis Fabby's life a living you-know-what the entire night. They were in his face all night. And they were, they just, if they can, if they can sustain that kind of pressure, if their defense can win at the line of scrimmage, the way that they won that night against Clearwater Valley, look out, look out, because it's going to, it could be a long night for Kerry if Notice is able to do that. Yeah, Notice has had some really good linemen over the past uh, several years, and no exception this year, uh, really uh, Aaron Jimenez to me is the key guy. At 6'1", 250 pounds, he anchors both lines for Notice. Uh, he'll be an important guy to keep an eye on for sure. So, yeah. And they this- can play him at either tackle or end, depending on the scheme. And, you know, that's a luxury that you don't often have when you have players that are 250-plus pounds. Do they have the quickness? Do they have the athleticism to get out on the edge? And Jimenez does. You know, he's a really good football player, and 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 he's a guy that can be a human. He could be a huge difference maker on Friday. Definitely. Okay, so let's uh, and officially, I'll make my official picks here, and then uh, everyone can let me know when I'm wrong, like the good folks in Raft River did on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, got to talk to a lot of the Trojans fans, and boy, did they well, let imagine. me have it. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, Okay, so I'll, I'll take Oakley officially. I will take Carey on the road. Uh, no, this is was the hardest game for me to pick in this in this quarterfinal round, but I will take Carey on the road there as well. And notice, fans, I'd love to wear it next week when I come back here on the podcast. Um, all right, let's talk about Rap River. They hosted Clearwater Valley. This is a game that I was at on Saturday. And I really wasn't sure, you know, what Rap River team we were going to see talking to Coach Chad Evans before the game, he told me Tate Whitaker is a game time decision. We're literally going to bring him out for warmups, see how he does over the next 10 minutes. And that's going to determine things. And so Tate Whitaker did get the start, had five touchdowns, looked awesome. Treg Whitaker was back. He had a big club on his hand that didn't really deter him at all. We know he's such a great defensive player. And when you've got a club like that on your arm, you can almost use that as a battering ram of sorts. And he even lined up, because he's played fullback and offensive line this year. He played both on Saturday, and he put that club on the ground like it was his three-point stance, and he did just fine with that. So with everybody back, Raft River rolls to a 54-22 win, and this Raft River team, that fully healthy Raft River team, they can win the championship, no doubt about it. If healthy, I agree. And I think getting Treg Whitaker back in the middle of that defense at middle linebacker, I think that's huge. At the eight-man level, 
um, you know, you've got your front line, you've got your your deep safety. It's it's that middle tier. That's where you've got to fill those gaps, and that's where you cannot miss tackles. And so you take out someone like a middle linebacker, a heart and soul middle linebacker like Treg Whitaker for Raft River. They missed him for a few games, and let's be honest, the results weren't pretty. And he's able to get back in there. He had you know several tackles. He contributed some on offense as well. Um, you know, I. I exchanged a couple text messages with coach Evans after the game. And he's like, you know, we still got a couple kids a little bit banged up, but you know, Tate really showed up and played and he goes, and then just they're, they're, they're maybe getting healthy at the right time. And, and that you're exactly right. A healthy raft river. Um, they were whatever, five and six and one going into those last couple weeks when, when things went haywire with all the injuries if they can get if they can get some semblance of health back, they're not a team you're going to be able to look past. They're a team that is very much going to be a factor, uh, and they're going to have a say in who wins this thing. And they they used every last day they could, right? They kicked off Saturday afternoon instead of playing on Friday night, and that extra time I think helped them, you know, with some of those game time decisions uh, like Tate Whitaker. Um, giving him an extra day of rest, I think, really helped out for Raft River. Uh, on the other side, for Clearwater Valley, you talked about when when they played notice, Louis Fabi was running for his life. Kind of the same story here. At Raft River front, Corbin Hansen had a couple sacks. Um, they had uh, – I'm just trying to remember the other defensive end now. It's, it's going to come to me. But, the, but both of their defensive ends were basically living in the backfield – Louis Fabi uh, was was scrambling for his life. He did more running side to side, I think, than Clearwater Valley did as a team running north and south. It was that kind of day where uh, that Raft River defense just really surged through and and played really well. So uh, Talon Taylor was the other name I was trying to remember, by the way. Uh, he played phenomenally well, as did uh, Hanson on the other end. And so um, for Clearwater Valley, they were just a little bit overmatched kind of a scary point midway through the third quarter on the same exact play, Louis Fabi and Carson Schilling, both. It took them a really long time to get up. There was a pretty delayed stoppage to the game with injury. Um, they both left. Fabi came back after a couple of series. Carson Schilling, as far as I know, never did return. And I certainly hope he's okay because he's a fun player to watch. And so Tiago Pickering had to take over at quarterback for Clearwater Valley on, on a couple of drives and, very first snap, you know, he's not used to being there, right? Louis Fabby's been the guy all year and fumbles the snap and Rep River recovers. And right before CB is getting ready to take the field for their next possession with Pickering, you know, Alan Hutchins, you know, is talking to Tiago one-on-one. And it's one of those conversations where he's leaned in close and Tiago's leaned in close and they talked for a really long time and whatever, Coach Hutchins told Tiago Pickering there worked because he came out on that next possession and looked like day and night difference. You could tell he was a little more calm, a little more collected. So I, I was meaning to ask Coach Hutchins what he talked to Tiago about. Never had a chance to after the game, but just one of those moments that you don't uh, always see highlighted that, you know, it's a coach and you're down 30 on the road and you've got a sophomore QB in and you're trying to get him pumped up. And anyways, I thought it was a nice moment for Clearwater Valley. So, and Coach Hutchins has been saying for for weeks now that you know Tiago Pickering is maybe his best pure athlete. And you mentioned just a sophomore, um, a, you know, tremendous athlete. They've got a couple more years with him. You know, that's that's a name. If you're an eight man football fan, that's a name you're going to want to file away because we're going to be talking about it again next fall. He's going to be a big factor for that Rams team.
Yeah, definitely. So for Clearwater Valley, tough to see their season end the way that, way that it did, but um, that's the way it goes sometimes, especially when you have to go win on the road. Uh, speaking of, Lapway was the other White Pine team that had to hit the road. This was the other game I was wrong about. <laughs> I thought they would go to Butte County and uh, cause some problems, and, and they did in fits and starts, but overall, Lapway just wasn't consistent enough on third down. They, they had a couple of short possessions. Butte County pretty much cashed in on every drive that they had. Uh, Butte County went 72 to 28 over Lapway. And so now you've got at the bottom half of the bracket, uh, you've got Raft River taking on Grace on Saturday night at 630 in Holt Arena, last game of the day. And then you've got Butte County traveling up to Kamei Friday night at seven o'clock. I'll be honest. Grace is the team that we don't know anything about, Will, right? They have no, kind of been unheralded, unsung. I, I kind of like Raph River in this matchup with Grace, the seven over the two. Uh, I, I like I like Grace, and and maybe the only reason would be is because Raft River is healthier. Um, I don't know that I can say that they're extremely healthy yet. And if you've got Tate Whitaker and you've got a punishing defense on the other side, that's been Grace's calling card all year. Sure, they've scored points, but they have, you know, they've just dominated teams defensively. And if they're if they're able to to seize on uh, you know, a, a wounded animal in the corner. And that's that's not to belittle Raft River in any way, but they've been a little bit beat up. And if they're able to if they're able to punch Raft River in the mouth a little bit early and and maybe get a couple of pops, a couple of clean legal hits on Tate Whitaker early and slow him down just that half step, I think that that might be enough. Um, and and I this is this this type of a game is what I've been waiting to, to see when it comes to Raft or for Grace for a long time. You know, I was waiting to see, okay, how are they going to do against Butte County? Well, guess what? They beat Butte County. Um, and now they get a chance against Raft River. I I expect Grace to win this game. I don't think it's going to be a, a slaughter. I don't think it's going to be 60 to 6 or any such nonsense like that. But I think Raft River's defense, their ability to be physical, and, and match Raft River with that physicalness, I think is that it might be the biggest key to me is, is their ability to kind of match Raft River punch for punch physically. Yeah, it could be a defensive type of game for sure. You know, I'll stick with Raft River, and uh, now Grace fans can give me the business next week when I come back on the Or Raft River fans can give me the business, one or, one or the other. And, you know, the thing is, is when we're picking teams here, we're – you know, we're doing it all in fun. We're not in the right. huddle. We're not in practice. We don't really know. We're just going off off what we see and off a hunch. And, uh, you know, it's all in fun. And usually when people give us the business, they're giving it to us all in fun, too. So it's 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 all good. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So the Raft River fans that I talked to after the game uh, said everything with a smile on their face and uh, and and they still fed me, too. I got a double cheeseburger from the concession stand after the game. So. Yep. Couldn't yep. have been that bad. Hey, that's small town hospitality for you, man. It's they'll they'll take care of you one way or the other. That's right. Uh, okay, let, let's talk about this Butte County Cameo matchup. Uh, this is another interesting game where Butte County we've talked about has kind of been on the roller coaster this year. They seem to be on the climb up, not to the plummet. Uh, but Cameo is so solid defensively. The question is going to be, you know how did the white pine league stack up to the other conferences this year based upon the opening weekend? Maybe we were a little wrong about the white pine league and maybe it was a little bit, 
not that it was weak, but just not as strong it's as down a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, so, and we've talked about it on this podcast that maybe they didn't have that gold star team this year. They didn't have that prairie from years past. <clears throat> it doesn't mean they're a bad football conference. It just meant that they didn't have <clears throat> they didn't have the the A plus student. They had a bunch of B students. And I think that that's a fair assessment. Um, Camii, the thing that I like about them a lot is they've got a number of players. Um, uh, Colton O'Kane running the football has obviously been one of their their top offensive weapons. But when they've when they've needed someone else to carry the ball, there have been other players to carry the ball. And when they've needed to throw the ball, as the year has gone on, uh, David Klute, Caden DeGroote, they've hit on some big throws, um, and they've been able to make some plays to force teams to play them straight up. You know, they, you don't want to get, if you're a team that likes to kind of power run the football, the one thing you don't want to be looking at is, you know, everybody within six feet, you know, six yards of the ball, either wide or deep. You want the defense to have to spread out a little bit and respect you. And I think that Kamii, I think Kamii did that a little bit later in the season with the ability to hit some throws. And I think that's going to force Butte County to play them kind of straight up. The thing I liked about Butte County on Saturday is, you know, it was, I believe it was 8-6 at the end of the first quarter. They were actually down two points at the end of the first quarter, but they stuck with it. And they just kept grinding, they kept grinding, they kept grinding. And I think they just wore Lapway out in the second half, ran for over 400 yards. Trayton Allen was pushing 200 yards. That, that's that's a tough animal to contend with. And, and that Kamii defense is, they're going to they're gonna get a big-time test. Uh, they're going to get a big-time test. Now, the good news is they get it at home because Arco to Kamii, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that's the easiest trip of all time. Um, so the fact that Kamii gets to sleep in their own beds, wake up in the morning, you know, go over to their own field, you know, in their own locker room, eat a home cooked meal, I think all that is going to benefit them. And and Butte County, like you said, they've been a little bit inconsistent this year. For the most part, they've been terrific, but they've had a couple of hiccups. Uh, and the fact that I, I think they, I mean, they just had a tremendous second half last week. And I think that they have an opportunity to build off that against Kamii, and it should make for a very, very entertaining football game. The trip is seven hours, 23 minutes. So on a bus, you know, you're looking at eight hours, and it's 443 miles from Arco Jeez. to Kamii. And that is, you know, mostly two-lane highway as well. So Yeah, yep. you're not on open four-lane interstate the whole way. <laughs> Yeah, that's. Uh, I hope somebody tough. has a cell phone charger there for when they're listening to their 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 music and and whatnot on their on their iPhones. Listening to the Idaho Eight Man Prepcast will. <laughs> oh, I mean, hopefully, I mean, it's only going to cover about an hour of the trip, but I guess that uh, that beats a kick in the shins. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'm leaning Kamii in this game because of the the distance required for Butte County to travel, but also the fact that Kamii has been battle tested. They've been in a lot of close back and forth affairs this year with Clearwater Valley and Lapway in particular. Um, they played Raft River earlier this year and and I thought held their own despite losing that game. Um, and so to me, they're just a little more battle tested where they've been in some close games where if it's the fourth quarter and they're down a score, okay, hey, we've done this this year, guys. We got this. Butte County, meanwhile, has been in a lot of one-sided games. Really, the game with Grace was kind of a back and forth affair. Um, and I, but I'm struggling to think of any others, and, and I'm sure there are, but they seem to be in a lot of one-sided games where the pressure's 
not quite there. So for those two reasons, I think I'm leaning Kamii. Well, I feel like I've been saying from the beginning that Butte County has been one of my two or three top teams in 1A Division One all year. And so I, I think just to, you know, just to not be called a flopper or be called a fair weather fan or anything like that. And also because I was really impressed with um, basically their second, third and fourth quarters last week. I mean, I just think they got better and better and better as that game went on. So I think um, for consistency's sake, I, I think I kind of have to take Butte County. Uh, but I also I, I like what Sam Thorngren does. Um, and, and I think that if there's a team that's built to go on the road and do some damage, it, it might be Butte County because they're just going to get behind the pads and they're going to try and punish you physically. And and Cami, I can meet that challenge. They absolutely can. I'm not saying they can't. But like I said, I've, I've kind of been on the Butte County train since August. So I feel like I, I'd be doing myself a disservice if I jumped off now. Definitely. And uh, the, they had a close game with Kerry as well, kind of a back and forth game. Uh, Butte County, the two games that were close, like one possession or two possession games, they lost both of them to Kerry and Grace. So, uh, yeah, we will see. That that should be a really interesting matchup on Friday night in Kamii for mm-hmm. sure. Yep. All right, but let's move to 1AD2 where there was uh, even less drama in terms of, you know, close games, exciting finishes, all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess we can just attack the bracket top to bottom. Let's let's start with what was the first game of the day on Friday. Water Springs hosting Camas County at 3.30 in Idaho Falls. Uh, the Mushers win 66-32, to 32, showing the versatility that Camas has shown all year long. I mean, seven, eight, nine different guys all contributed right. statistically. Yeah, and I mean, and it started early, a deflected pass that – Troy Smith intercepts and returns for a touchdown, kind of gets the mushers off and running. You know, they intercept four or five passes on the day, and they were very opportunistic, extremely opportunistic, and as you said, extremely balanced. And, you know, it's the end of a great career for for Drew Plocker up there at, at Water Springs, but a continuation of some great careers going at Camas County. You know, Cody Smith, senior transfer from Eagle, intercepts three passes, um, you know, and, and now he gets to – to live a fight another day. And, and for that Camas County team, um, you know, that's, it's a pretty solid team. We've been, we've had our eye on them all year. They're going to get the ultimate challenge having to go up against Kendrick next, but they've earned that. They've earned it. They've earned it. And um, I believe you said it was Jagger Hewitt who made a comment uh, a few weeks ago, good naturedly bring it on district four. Yep. Okay, here you go. Here comes district four. Let's see what we got. Yeah. It's almost like a, uh, are you a wrestling fan, Will, at all? Or do you know anything about wrestling? Like like WWE wrestling? It's like uh Rowdy Roddy Piper. I mean, is <laughs> Andre yeah, the Giant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, I know that a little bit, but it's like it's like it's like one of those Royal Rumbles where Kendrick is the team in the ring, and here comes Camas County, and they're gonna try and flip them out, and then oh, here comes Castleford. There's just like this line of teams yeah. lined up ready to jump into the ring with Kendrick uh, and yeah. Camas County gets the first. <laughs> and game. I'm picturing for better or for worse, when you make that analogy, uh, there's a, a TV show family guy. I think most of us have seen family guy where Joe, the, the, the man in the wheelchair gets legs and <laughs> his three friends, Cleveland, Peter and, and Quagmire are trying to knock him down a peg because now that he has legs, he's a tough guy. And there's this scene where one runs in and you don't see him run in, but then you just see him fly right back out. So you're, it's kind of what you're describing there 
where maybe Kendrick is Joe in, in this analogy where, uh, but they've always had legs obviously. And uh, we'll see if we'll see if Quagmire or, or Peter or Cleveland is able to knock him down. Yeah, that's a great analogy too. But that's what it is. They're going to get everybody's best shot from here on out. Uh, the IdahoSports.com player of the game for Camas County was Troy Smith rushed for 93 yards and a touchdown, but on defense, he had seven and a half tackles, two interceptions, including one that he took back for a touchdown. This is another, these are uh, two more teams. We were talking about carry and notice. They always seem to have one or two defensive touchdowns per game. So whichever team can take care of the ball, the best also uh, will be in good shape uh, in that matchup. Yes. So yep. let's, let's go to uh, the game we had on Saturday. Paul Kingsbury went all the way up to Clark Fork to cover uh, what he said was the first ever home playoff game in Wampus Cats history. Now I'm not, I don't know if that's true or not. I know it's, if it's it, possible. If it it's had possible. been, I mean, it, it would have been a really long time since Clark yep. Fork had hosted a game. And so uh, on the Idaho sports.com Instagram account, Paul actually did a time lapse of him driving to Clark Fork and all the beautiful scenery you get to see. And it's really taken all the way off. from CUNA. Well, no, from Coeur d'Alene. He stayed in oh, Coeur d'Alene. Okay. okay. God, I was going to say that time-lapse would still be one hell of a time-lapse. <laughs> yes. No, from basically from Coeur d'Alene to Clark Fork and just all the scenery you get to see. And yeah, it was really cool. It was really fun to watch. Uh, you know, Castle Ford had to make the long trip up there. They took care of business 56 to nothing. Uh, Ethan Rowland was the IdahoSports.com player of the game. He threw three touchdown passes, ran for three touchdowns as well. And for Castle Ford, you know, business as usual and, and they're moving on but what a season for Clark Fork and how exciting that the Wampus Cats got to host a first round playoff game oh I'm sure that town was just was just buzzing all week and I, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that that area that that Lake Ponderé area up there Sandpoint Clark Fork that general area you guys can have McCall and you can have Sun Valley and you can have all that stuff give me Give me that Ponderé area. I love it up there. I think it's awesome. And um, the thing that stuck with me is uh, I had to run a couple errands. And so I was away from my house for a little bit. And I got back to turn on the game thinking that it would be in the second half. And Paul said, no, it's already over. I mean, it was it was a fast game. And when you've got a couple teams that like to run the football, and you mentioned Castle Ford with Roland and, and Gus Wiggins and Gabe Mahana and, and the, the various weapons that they have, they were obviously very effective running the football and um, you know, they've been good defensively all year too. And okay. They're, they're four B if you will, because Dietrich is the the number one seed They're They're kind of that team that's lurking in the weeds a little bit. You know, they had a little success last year. They've had a good year this year. It's a very veteran team, a very senior heavy team. I think anybody who sleeps on Castle Ford's making the, um, making a big, big mistake. And now Castle Ford has to hit the road again. They're, I mean, they're going to be the road warriors, basically. They won't They won't have a home game this entire way. Uh, nope. They're going to go now to Council, take on the District 3 champions. To me, this is kind of like the game last year when Horseshoe Bend went to Kendrick in the quarterfinals. And as we were looking at it, you know, I was like, this is probably a semifinal matchup, but it's happening in the quarterfinals. This, to me, feels like a semifinal, Castle Ford and Council. Yeah, I went up to that council. I went up to council and watched them play Garden Valley uh, a few weeks ago. And and Garden Valley is a good football team. And they will we'll get to their game in a little bit. But they they beat up on Lewis County a bit in their opening round game earlier. And can, council pretty much dominated that game. They're they're kind of in this vortex there of 
of, of the northern part of western Idaho, if you will, up in the, you know, you start to get up in the mountains there, up towards McCall. They don't necessarily get a lot of attention uh, from the media. You know, we don't know a lot about them unless you physically go out of your way to go see them. But they can play. They can really play. Josh Geip is for real. Wyatt Vining is for real. You got Mason Roberts. You got other players who can make plays. They've got um, they've got a big lineman who is, you know, we, we talked about Jimenez earlier. You know, they, they've got a guard who, if he stays the course, he's going to have a chance to do some special things up there, um, up there with Council. And, and they're, they're a really good group. And I think that um, maybe a little bit like Grace in the Southeast, or frankly, a little bit somewhat like Castleford, where they haven't gotten talked about as much because of what is happening around them. But, but yeah, I think this is a, this is a tremendous matchup and um, is it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, as I'm looking at council's roster here, I mean, it's, it's at least double the amount of players that Castleford has. We it's well documented. Castleford has 12 guys and they're good. They're very good, but Council definitely has the depth. I mean, I'm just looking at the last three linemen on the roster here, Will, and maybe one of these is the guy you were talking about. Sean Walker, six foot, two hundred. That's like small Mario. And then mm-hmm. there's Nate Jordan, six foot, two fifty. That's like medium sized Mario. And then there's Jackson Thomas, six foot four, three oh five. That's like giant Mario. Jackson Thomas is the one. He okay. is the one, and he is. You know, we we've said before. Sometimes you have big kids in eight-man football that they can take up space, they can do a job, but they're not necessarily premier athletes. Jackson Thomas is a pretty good athlete. He moves pretty well for a a big, big, strong kid. Yeah, so it's going to be skill versus depth a little bit. I mean, Council obviously has the skill as well. Um, This will be an interesting one for sure. I'm leaning Castle Ford just based on they've already been on the road and done it and gotten that out of the way. Council had the week off. Sometimes that can be can get you out of your rhythm a little bit. And uh, this is going to be a fantastic game, though. This truly is like a semifinal battle. This is a pick for me. And I, I don't if, – if we come back here next week and we're talking about, you know, 42-38 where the game ended with one team, you know, with a play from the five-yard line to win it or lose it, I'm not going to be the least bit surprised. Yeah. And I'm not going to be surprised – no matter who wins it or no matter who makes the play, I think it's a, I think it's a very compelling matchup for a lot of the reasons you just talked about. It's Castle Ford. They've got their, they've got their eight or nine players, you know, the, the kids that play pretty much all the time. Um, and council, I think has a little bit more depth there at home, that community, it's going to be, you're going to have red and black everywhere. It's going to be crazy up there. Uh, and, and Wyatt Vining is a kid who, you know, you talk about playing with a club on your hand uh, against Garden Valley. He had, you know, he had three or four sacks um, and, you know, it didn't even feel like he, I don't know that he'd say it was his best game. You know what I mean? That's just how good he is capable of being. And he can be a huge, huge disruptor along the defensive front for, for council. Yeah, he's a good one for sure. He made our top 10 list of uh, the 10 best defensive linemen in the state of Idaho in, in the preseason. So, yep. yeah, we, we know he's legit. Okay, let's talk about the bottom half of the bracket. Dietrich, uh, the one district champ that had to play in the opening round, and they hosted Horseshoe Bend and come out with a 54-20 to win. This game was tight, like, 
early into the second quarter, and then like boom, you blinked, and Dietrich was up like three scores. And this is what they're capable of putting up a lot of points in a short amount of time. And that's what can happen in eight man football. You know, if it's a a touchdown and then you go three and out really quick, or you turn the ball over and it's just touchdown, boom, touchdown, and all of a sudden a eight point game just turned into a twenty four point game, and that's a whole different world. And um, you know, I've I've Dietrich's another team I've kind of been on their bandwagon all year. And I'm going to stay on it at this point. I think Cody Power um, is probably one of the top maybe five kids, regardless of position in the state of Idaho at the eight-man football level. He had a really nice game against Horseshoe Bend. I do feel obligated to say, though, please tell me you saw the video of Kalen Jones' kick return for Horseshoe Bend. Uh, I don't know if I did. Go find it. I don't know. I'm sitting there watching it because all it is is it says – you know, watch my highlight, watch my kick return. And it's Kalen himself put it out on Twitter and good for him for doing it. Cause otherwise I might not have seen it. And he looks like he's boxed into this corner and all of a sudden he just squirts free and then outruns the entire town of Dietrich up the sideline. It was a really, really impressive play. Interesting. Okay. I'll have to try and find that. Oh yeah. Here it is. 90 yard kick return. Okay. So I'm going to share this on my screen real quick. So if uh, you're watching the video version of this podcast on the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel or Facebook page. Yep. Let's see it. Let's go. Let's bring it. Yeah, you're going to be able to see uh, what I've got going on here. I'm going to share my screen. There's that. I'll make it full size on the video. And let's take a look at this. Should I be seeing it? Because I'm not seeing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me hold on. There, there we, we go. go. There it is. Okay, okay. Now, Horseshoe Bend is in white. They're returning the kick here. Okay, and Dietrich in the black, they're kicking off. All right. Here, Will, this is your chance for a play-by-play call. So now you don't necessarily see the ball, but you see him going down to pick it up. Now look at it. Where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? Whoops. Hang on. Where are we? Oh, there we are. And goodbye. See you later. And he just runs away from everybody. And I believe that's Connor Perkins right there who was on the wrong end of the stiff arm there for Dietrich. And though, and Kalen and Connor had a fun little back and forth like, hey, bro, I don't know that the stiff arm was necessary. And uh, <laughs> they, they had a pretty good little exchange going there. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, that's oh, that's awesome. I, ha- I had not seen that. So that is fantastic uh, work by Kalen Jones there. And, yeah, for Horseshoe Bend, they just – they have the, the the pieces in place this year. They just they they didn't win the games they needed to, especially that Garden Valley game, which would have put them on a different path in the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately, there. So now you've got Dietrich taking on Rockland. This is an interesting one. Rockland has kind of retooled their offense. They've kind of been a different team the last three weeks. It's going to be played well the last few weeks. They made this. They made the switch to move uh, Teague Matthews, their superstar athlete, from wide receiver to quarterback and. And it's really worked. Let's let's call a spade a spade. It is, you know, Jerry Hunter, the quarterback, or uh, Jerry Hunter, the, the head coach, he made the move. And it has really worked for that Rockland team. They have been tremendous the last few weeks. But I just man for man, I don't I'm I don't know if they have enough juice man for man to 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 play Dietrich and to beat them, even though the game is technically probably closer to Rockland than it is Dietrich. I just I think athletically one through eight on the field. I just think Dietrich's a little bit better. 
And here's the way I, I approached it, and I agree with you. I like Dietrich here. I was like, boy, Rockland's got all these uber-talented athletes. They're going to be in Holt Arena. Like, this is setting up to be a nice day for Rockland. And then I thought, oh, wait, Dietrich also has a lot of uber-talented athletes, and they're going to be in Holt Arena as well. So, it, could be a, it could be a track meet. This could be your, you know, 72 to 58 type football game where it's just ping pong, ping pong. I, I could see it being that type of game, but, um, you know, Cody Power, Peyton, Snedden, Roberson, Perkins, you know, Dietrich has, they have a lot of weapons. And, and Teague Matthews, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to a couple of games ago, I think it was against uh, uh, Water Springs where he, you know, threw for 400 and ran for another 150. He's going to have to have another game like that if if Rockland wants to steal one here. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And and we saw like with Drew Plocker of Water Springs, he did his usual production and yet Camas County still was able to find a way to get the win. So, uh, and then the last matchup here, let's talk about Garden Valley. They went on the road to play Lewis County last Friday and uh, Garden Valley really took it to them 47 to eight. I, I went back and watched the film of this because it's, uh, it, it's hard sometimes with Garden Valley to know who's contributing where, because they have all these athletes that they line up at different spots. They'll have a couple mm -hmm. different kids play quarterback and then they'll be at a receiver. Uh, Tacoma Kelly, it was kind of a 3-2-1. He had three touchdown passes, two touchdown runs, one touchdown reception <laughs> for, for Garden Valley. Yeah, um, he's he's a special athlete. And I talked to uh, Monty Madrell a little bit after the game, and and he said Jaden Hunt, the, the senior linebacker, he goes, that kid's just a beast. He's everywhere. His nose is in the middle of everything that they do. And, uh, you know, he, he singled Hunt out as that kid that kid wrecked our offense. He really, really did. And, uh, um, you know, they held Lewis County to eight points. And, and sure, Lewis County has been playing without Ty Hambly for a while, uh, an exceptional football player. And it just, you know, unfortunate that he was injured and not able to, to play the better part of the season. Uh, however, comma, Lewis County, they earned their spot in the playoffs. And anytime you get a spot in the playoffs and you go up against a Garden Valley team and you're at home, Garden Valley rolled in. And they they had to be the, the the bigger, stronger, more physical team, and and they were, and as a result, they won the game. Yeah, very impressive win. And now we get to the final game. Well, this is the game that I will be at on Saturday. I will be in Mullen. This is you're going all the way to Mullen. Yeah. So wow. anytime, anytime I can squeeze in a trip to to visit the family in Western Montana, you know, okay. oh yeah, I'll I'll volunteer to go to Mullen, no problem. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, this is the game I'm going to be at on Saturday, Garden Valley at Mullen. The weather forecast is supposed to be, uh, I heard it, it has actually already started snowing in Mullen today. Is yeah, it was, I, my family lives in Spokane and Eastern Washington, and they said it. it's it's a dicey looking week up there for sure. And then you get Mullen, you get kind of, you're starting to get into the, the mountain pass area. It can get sloppy fast in places like Mullen and Wallace and Kellogg. I think the original plan was to have this game inside the Kibbe Dome in Moscow. Only problem is Vandals have a game on Saturday. So outside Don't we go. Vandals to move. Make the Vandals go play in Mullen. <laughs> right? That would be interesting for sure. Uh, so it's going to be outside. It's going to be – I think both coaches would prefer snow over the snow and rain mixture where it Correct. just gets sloppy and um, – Basically, I think it's going to come down to styles where Garden Valley 
is more of a straight ahead. We're going to just pound the ball up the middle when we run mm-hmm. the ball. Mullen St. Regis is a little more on the perimeter. They like to get on the edges, and that's where the footing can get a little more slick. Uh, the weather, I think, is going to play a big, big impact in this game. And, you know, I had a chance to talk to Stetson Spooner, the, the head coach and athletic director uh, at Mullen earlier this week. And he said, you know, in terms of like dual threat quarterbacks, he said, obviously, there's Cody Power from Dietrich mm-hmm. and Ty Kep from Kendrick. He said, but Caleb Ball for Mullen St. Regis is, and he said he's he's just as talented in both facets as those two and just doesn't get the accolades because Mullen is so far away and they're kind of off doing their own thing and playing right. Montana schools and stuff. But um, in terms of dual threat ability, yeah, Caleb Ball is right up there with the best. So Yeah, 30 touchdowns this year for Ball, and in any number of those games, he's essentially been out of the game at halftime, much like Ty Kep down in Kendrick. And you know, this game to me, just on paper, you've got on one side, you've got the irresistible force. You know, Mullen puts up 60, 70 points almost every week. And on the other side, you know, you've got Garden Valley, the immovable object. Their defense has been outstanding this year. You take out that council game where where council hung 50 on them. I don't know that Garden Valley's given up more than maybe 16, 18 points in any game all year. And, and I think that you nailed to me, the key on the head, uh, you, you nailed the nail right on the head there with your hammer, is uh, will the weather affect how how Mullen wants to play offense? Now, remember, they'll be practicing in it all week. They grew up in it. They've been playing in it for years. I don't expect it to be a humongous factor. But if, if you can slow Caleb Ball down even a, a fraction of a step, you know, that, that Garden Valley defense – it's very aggressive. It's fast. It swarms. You know, Aaron Noakes. Um, you know, we mentioned Jaden Hunt. And, and if they're able to, if they're able to bottle up Caleb Ball at all, where where he's going to have to, he's going to have to rely on his teammates to to make some big plays, quote unquote, without him. Um, uh, you know, can they do it? And I'm not saying they can't. I'm legitimately asking, can they? You know, this. Blake Layton has been a tremendous defensive player for a few years, and he makes a lot of big plays on offense. He may have to be an even bigger piece of the puzzle this week. Uh, John Pruitt may need to be an even bigger piece of the puzzle this week, and it's it's going to be weather-related. And, you know, Caleb Ball, you know, can he make good decisions? And on the other side, can Garden Valley contain him? Because if they can't contain him, the dual threat ability that Ball has, if if Garden Valley struggles to contain him, he could go bananas. It could be it could be a tech mobile type game where you know he just runs around the end and keeps running and keeps running and keeps running. And so which which team is is Garden Valley's defense going to be able to impose its will, or is Mullins and St. Regis's offense going to be able to impose their will? There, there's there's the game right there. To me, it's pretty simple. Yeah, John Pruitt to me is the key guy. If he can get it, if he can get some stuff done between the guards up the middle. Uh, that that'll help uh, definitely. And you're right. It's going to be fascinating to see how the weather really impacts this game. Any more than any other eight man game this week. I think this game will be impacted the most by the weather. So we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be a lot of fun though. That's for sure. Stetson told me to bring a coat. <laughs> that yeah, was no his, kidding. That was bring your little uh, umbrella hat too, because the precipitation it's supposed to be coming for, you know, off and on pretty much all week. Yeah. So going to be a good time and 
there you go. There's your quarterfinal preview uh, for all of the eight-man games. Enjoy the competition this weekend, everybody. Again, 18 of the 24 quarterfinal games statewide will be covered on IdahoSports.com. Just click the Game Streams tab on the homepage at IdahoSports.com to see which games we will be covering. And uh, we'll have fun at Carry and Notice. It should be a good time. I'll do my best. All right. We'll be back to recap it all again next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Idaho 8-Man Prepcast. We'll see you next time on IdahoSports.com.